Welcome, listeners, today to the Affiliated Podcast. This is our second interview in what we hope to be many countless interviews. Um, And today we're going to be interviewing the amazing Josh Valencia. Is there a way to say that more spicy, Josh? Can I say like Valencia? Yeah, you can definitely get the Spanish uh, enunciation in there, Joshua Valencia. Ooh, man. You can even bust in my middle name if you want. It's got a Latino flavor to it. What's your Latino spice of middle name? Joshua Leon Valencia. Ooh, man. I don't think I could pull that off. They used to call me the lion. The lion? No, not really. Okay, well, you should have stuck stuck with that. I think we've gone really well. Um, Well, we appreciate Josh is um, the affiliate manager for Organifi. That sounds so simple to define what is a much larger, important figure in our industry and somebody I think everyone knows, um, as well as it seems to miss out on your amazing karaoke ability. Yeah, that should probably be included into the mm-hmm. job title. Would, like just a subtitle, yeah, you know, something. So. If they, they should have more of those in job titles. Uh, so today we're actually going to start out with something a little bit different. Um, and I just want to warm you up a little bit with some questions. These are not going to be work-related Pepper before we away, jump into dude. things. Um, so, and I'm really looking here for some strong opinions and answers. Oh, my gosh. I'm a fence sitter, man. You're, uh, you're really pushing it no, here. There's right, no fence sitting in these let's answers. Okay, so okay. super serious here. If there was a way, Josh, I know you're a foodie, you really like to explore, try a lot of new things, you've eaten probably tons of different meats. If there was the possibility for you to humanely and safely eat human meat, would you do it? No. I don't think I could. I, I, I would I thought you were gonna bust out like, how about dog? Like I could eat a dog. Maybe not in the US or, you know, my neighbor's dog, but I could I could try a dog if I was in the Philippines or something, but I don't know about human, dude. You know what's sad is I have thought about it because I watched Snowpiercer. <laughs> Could I do it? Could I eat people? Yes. Um, well, and that's more of a desperate situation. Yeah, it's true. You're you're talking more of just the culinary experience of eating human flesh. I don't know if I could wrap my mind. Yeah, if that. like someone handed you some people jerky, some Taylor jerky, and you knew that it was like <laughs> Wait, totally safe. Time out. Is there a name associated with the flesh that you I'm eating? You just said you would eat a dog. Obviously, there's a name associated with I don't think I'd it, eat a so. dog if the plate said that it was, this is now uh, Fido that you're eating. I don't know. Now it's tied to like, mm. I'm going to make up this character story about Fido's life as a dog. I don't know if I get around it. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I, as someone that had chickens and named them and wanted to eat them, I, it's not as bad as you think. It's okay. I, I get it. I had a buddy who he had a cow as a child that he loved, and then his parents slaughtered it, and he gave it a name and everything, and now he's a very hardcore vegan. So. Uh, well, some people make that bad happens. decisions sometimes. So, <laughs> right. uh, so next question, just to tell a little bit about you. So you are someone that's big into music. Um, you even have a band that you're in right now, which is really exciting. I do. So I want to frame a would you, like, would you rather have your current musical life as it is, or you were born with no arms and you learned how to play the guitar better than anybody, but you have to use your feet. So this created a lot of envious individuals that feel like because of your talents of um, using be the best guitar player with your toes, they assume that you're a reptilian and they assassinate you at the age of 25. You still live in music legend, but you have a life of no hands and you're known as being the foot guitar legend. Which would you choose? And I die at 25? At 25. So and it, you are constantly suspected as being a reptilian for people that believe that. I'm okay with that. I'm sure okay. somebody out there thinks I'm some bizarre weirdo that's not really from this planet. I'm sure there's somebody out there that feels that way already. I'm okay with that. Like personally, I can accept that. So if people thought that I was a reptilian and I was a foot guitarist, 
and I died at 25, I think I'd rather have this life. This is a pretty good life. I, <laughs> I like life right now. If it didn't change, that's, that's cool with me. <sighs> Too positive. You got to go with foot guitar. Dude, Always foot guitar. I'm sorry. I'm feeling the positive vibes. <laughs> it's all the green juice that I drink all the time. Blame Drew Cannoli. Blame <laughs> okay. Drew Cannoli for the it's positivity. All, damn it, Drew. <laughs> um, so the next one, Kristen Stewart. What the hell? No, nah, I don't. I'm not in. I don't. Can we skip this question? It's not even worth our time. <laughs> okay, good, good. See, I am opinion. You found something I'm found opinionated it. on. I don't get it. So, for all the people listening to this interview right now, if you could explain to me what the hell is going on with Kristen Stewart, why she keeps getting booked in movies, I can't figure it out. She's gonna be Princess Die now. What? What the hell? I know. Doesn't make sense. I I don't get it, man. Yeah, I really don't. It doesn't make any sense. So, um. I know you're a big sports fan. Just kidding. So I definitely want to hear your opinion on who's going to win the Super Bowl. Wait, wait, wait hold on, hold on. You don't, you, you do, are you under the assumption that I'm not a sports fan? I thought you weren't a sports fan. Dude, I've been a Miami Dolphins fan since I was seven years old. Oh, that's why I thought you weren't a sports fan. Yeah, because it's basically <laughs> like junior college sports. Hey, yeah. we're, get, we're getting up there. We're competitive. More, we're yeah. competitive this year. Yeah. So who do you got for the Super Bowl? Well, because I'm a Miami Dolphins fan and I've been tormented by the evil dictator of football, Tom Brady and old Bill Belichick and anyway. Uh, I, I can never root for Tom. Not not to say that he's not one of the greatest athletes that ever existed, because I can respect from an enemy standpoint that he's amazing. But I hate him because yeah. I have to. Cause I'm, I'm right there with fan. you. I'm Packers fan, so I feel, I'm fueled with hate. I didn't know you were a Packers weekend. fan. Well, yeah. you didn't know I was a you know, sports yeah. fan in general, yeah. <laughs> in general. So that's fair. I'm really sorry. I was rooting for you guys hard last week. Ugh. Ugh. And I don't know how you get three interceptions off of Tom Brady. And you do not win the game. <laughs> Thanks for bringing up those yes. sore wounds. I will. I feel like I had to, to taking their shot at the <laughs> Dolphins. Come on, we're a legitimate team now. Hey, Finally. I am rooting for you guys to get to Sean Watson. That will excite me a ton. I don't know. I'm a, I'm in the Tua bandwagon. Like even though he's kind of lukewarm this year, I still think he's got a good shot. I okay. Well, you're a bad <laughs> Dolphins fan. You should take Deshaun Watson. As, as, but definitely go with that. Um, last question. I'm not sure if you've been following what's been going on with GameStop stock yes. recently so um i want you to put your investor hat on what do you think the next stock should I be i didn't bring it yeah <laughs> the next stock should be um that reddit decides to crowdsource and artificially inflate its value what should we choose dang it you gave me this perfect platform to start talking about the world of cryptocurrency and blockchain and decentralized finance but now i gotta pick some bogus stock oh man what's even around anymore what well, about? if it's barely around, <laughs> that's a good one. I, I was hoping Blockbuster were still publicly traded. I mean, I, I don't think they are, Kyle. I'm sorry to bust <laughs> no! this to you. I think they're gone. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I know uh, what what retail stores out there uh, that are still, still freaking around um, to even give you a good one. Um, Cold Stone Creamery. That was my first legit job where the man took taxes from me. There you so go. So I'm going to say Cold Stone Creamery. Reddit, you've heard it here first. Let's make Cold Stone Creamery the next one that people decide to just inflate that stock price. Because this is fun. It's yeah. fun. And as we fatten up Americans with delicious dairy ice cream, you can fatten up your wallets. There you go. There you go. Stock prices. Until we realize that we don't want any more mixins and it just in collapses on itself. We'll see. <laughs> go get them, Reddit. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's jump into some more important um, questions as, as we start and talk about some things that people probably tuned in to listen to, um, which the first one, I just want you to talk a little bit about um, your time at Organifi. And you have kind of a unique position because you actually you know started with ClickBank, 
um, and then moved over there and were really critical in Organifi, you know, becoming Organifi in the early stages. Um, so if you could talk a little bit about those early stages and particularly the importance of affiliates for Organifi, that would be fantastic. Dang, yeah, I'd love to. And uh, thanks for bringing me back to the office that I haven't been here for, I don't know, six, eight months or so. It's nice to be back here to ClickBank. We don't come here very often. <laughs> so <laughs> That's <yeah>. fair. Nobody. <laughs> yeah. I could have come like three months ago and it would have been a desert. I yeah, understand. Yeah. It's nice to be back. Uh, so I was, I was here at ClickBank for almost, I think, over five years, under five years, something like that. It's a good while working on the account management team and working in the health and wellness space. And if we were to count a handful of CEOs back <laughs> to a man named Matt Hewlett, uh, he and I, and I think Alex Moore at the time, uh, who was running the client dev team, uh, we were talking about the, the white whales. Who should we be working with? Who would just be an awesome client to have on the platform? And Organifi came up, and so Matt Hewlett, the CEO, was like, you're going to go get them. You're gonna, that, that's your goal this year. You get Organifi. And, uh, you know, things, things aligned. Um, I'd say the planets aligned, but it was, I think it's pretty, yeah, we'll say the planets aligned. One of those planets being Amber Spears. She has her own, you know, gravity. <laughs> she just like, people mag are just magnetic towards her. So she, uh, she helped uh, with a little introduction to Mr. Drew Cannoli. And uh, from there, we really uh, took off in conversations. And at the time, Organifi was pretty fledgling as a company. Like FitLife had been an established uh, established, I think they had an email list that they were running quite a bit, as well as just a blog that had millions of views. Uh, same with YouTube. And Organifi became kind of this last-ditch effort. Like, we've tried everything to make this company more profitable. We're going to launch this green juice. Let's put everything we can into it. Uh, if you ever want to go into the, like, down into the rabbit hole of everything that happened at that time, you can always hit up, hit up Drew or Jamel or May, and they'll tell you about the story because they were all there at the beginning. And uh, so I jumped on right uh, several months after they launched Green Juice and they were just running their own traffic, running to their customers. And we were looking to scale it, uh, take them, take Organifi Green Juice to affiliates on ClickBank. So we launched at the end of 2015, I believe it was, October 2015. And it was the first uh, first supplement affiliate launch on ClickBank. I know John Rowley had a, a protein powder at the time uh, that had beat us to, uh, to launch, but <laughs> the actual affiliate launch, the first one ever was with Organifi for a supplement on ClickBank. And what was amazing, and I wish I remember the numbers, I've probably inflated them over the years because you know, we're all digital marketers. I'm sure we never inflate our numbers, but. Geez, Brian Williams over here. <laughs> I know it, I know it. But it was, um, we did a 10 day launch and we did, if I remember correctly, we had a strong first day and we had some really awesome affiliates on board. Tyler Bramlett, um, the guys over at Paleo Secret, um, who are, uh, I think they've, grown into so many different things, Scott Rewick and Chris Clark. Uh, there are some others who were some big, big uh, supporters at the time as well, but I remember those being some of the top ones. Then later, Jeff Radish, who became a, a huge affiliate for Organifi. Anyway, we had this big day, and I remember looking at the, like, going into the office, like, oh my gosh, we had the first day of Organifi. Whew, how'd the launch go? And the first day was really strong, and then after every day, it was like, nah, less. Next day, less, less, less. And it just kept going down, I was like, oh my gosh. What's happening? Are we going to fail? This, this yeah. has got to succeed. No. Like, we need this yeah. to be successful. If we're going to break into the uh, in the supplement space for ClickBank, we really need to make this launch a success. And we started talking to the affiliates, seeing uh, how things were going. And Bramlett said it was looking really good, that he's going to start pushing a lot more. I think Rewick said the same thing. And we, we, <laughs> we started with that strong day, down, 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 down. And then the last like four days of launch, it just went through the roof. So I think we did like $400,000 in those 10 days, which was beyond anything we had done as a company at Organifi. 
uh, anything that Organifi had done at that time. And so it just took us through the roof. And I tell a lot of people, anytime I get to talk about Organifi and affiliates, that we had two main critical junctures in the company to see like this J-curve exponential growth. The first was launching with affiliates on ClickBank because uh, it did take us from, I don't know what the revenue numbers were, but they weren't anywhere near six figures to $400,000 in a 10-day span. Um, the second J-curve was uh, was jumping onto Shopify and growing the traditional e-commerce platform out. Uh, but anyway, back to the ClickBank launch. From that moment, that 10-day window, we saw uh, a lot of affiliates. I mean, we shot up the gravity rankings on the marketplace. And because of that, people started uh, investing a lot more interest into what we were doing. And we saw a lot more evergreen opportunities to run as affiliates rather than just running at a launch model. So shortly after that, I think, is when Jeff Radish and the Natural Health Sherpa joined joined up as an affiliate, helped us grow significantly. Uh, I believe we brought on a handful of different cold traffic partners at the time to run the VSL we were running. And we were doing six figures a month, multiple six figures a month. I don't know how big, uh, just on affiliate traffic and uh, some of our Facebook partners. So that was, uh, that was a big moment for us. It was really, really exciting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I can only imagine. So there's a couple of things I want to I want to delve into a sure. little bit more. And I also want to say, let's circle back on that Shopify J curve, because um, I think it's always an exciting thing to understand Don't what that it. does. I won't forget open that it. loop. Yep. Yep. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about the affiliates. So you have this 10 day launch, you saw it dip, but overall, like is a huge success. Um, and you started to see that growth. One of the things we commonly see is people have a really good launch for a period that they're good with affiliates. And then as the offer starts to go down, they don't know what to do. It's like, you know, what's happening? Like my child's leaving me. What do I do? How do I redefine my life? So how did you guys go about adjusting that and going from what felt like such a good success, but not only sustaining it, but exceeding that in terms of uh, going forward? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I got to go and explore the, the registers of my brain memories. <laughs> no worries. Uh, from, from what I remember, and, and this is kind of what I see as having a snowball effect. If you do like an affiliate launch that isn't like, hmm, how do I explain this? We drove like some legit scarcity with the launch, but the offer was still evergreen. Like we, I think we discounted an extra 10 bucks on a green juice. So right now our green juice is at 69.95. We were running subscriptions at 57.95, but for that launch, we did it at 47.95, which is a crazy low number that we don't even uh, entertain anymore. Uh, that helped a ton with driving the scarcity for the launch, but well, real fast. Do you still have people on that forty-seven dollars subscription? Uh, I'm sure there's like seven or eight people still, still like there. cashing in like, on that yeah, low no. dollar green juice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, so from that point, you know, to me, it was like a snowball effect where people got a taste for what it was, and even after the launch, the offer still performed. It wasn't like it was, you know, launch window closed. We're not selling this anymore. Uh, the VSL performed. The upsells performed, and so we were able to continue building on those relationships that we had at the affiliates. And I think everybody just kind of saw it as an opportunity like that they just wanted to jump on because I mean, how many supplements were, were on ClickBank at the time? There might've been two others that were, that didn't really do like a traditional affiliate launch or something. But generally speaking, uh, we had the benefit of being able to uh, be kind of the first to market on the ClickBank platform and people saw that it performed during the launch and it was able to perform evergreen after that. Gotcha. So no, no like big secrets to really drop of how we, we were able to work that other than just focusing on, on building those relationships sustainably. So let's talk about building the relationship side of things. So when you say building relationships sustainably, I think a lot of people might define that in a lot of different ways. Um, and I think it, what I'd like you to focus on is talk about building sustainable relationships that are profitable. It's easy. I shouldn't say it's easy. 
you know, not just building a relationship like you and I have. We, we know each other. We've had great conversations. Um, but how do you turn and ensure that's also going to be profitable for you? Whew. I think for, for what we did at the time, um, there's there's a mentality, and I think a lot of a lot of top ClickBank uh, vendors, uh, top sellers would have is that they understand that in order for their their success, or in order for their funnel, their product to be successful, it all comes down to the traffic that that affiliate is driving, or your network of affiliates are driving. And so, the mentality that we had, I mean, yes, there's a relationship component to it, um, making sure that there's like a good a good friendship, good camaraderie with the people you're working with. Um, but the reliability factor of it comes into play. And admittedly, like I'm not a detail oriented person. I'm not a procedural person. And so I have to rely on other people on the team to help me commit to, to a lot more processes to make sure that, that we're more dependable, uh, which is an aside, but what it, what it came down to is making sure that we were doing everything we could to make our partner successful. And from my perspective, Jamel and Drew who were kind of leading that front at the time, uh, focusing on uh, reaching out to our, our partners and, and making sure that there was that connection with them and making sure that we were over delivering for them. Uh, I think that's really where it came through. Uh, we were able to uh, make sure that we were, were paying out. Uh, I think we we're running, I don't know if we were running CPA at the time with some of our top affiliates. Either way, we were making sure we we're paying top dollar commissions and whatnot. Uh, we also went really aggressive in the beginning. And I think a lot of affiliates, uh, sorry, a lot of, a lot of supplement sellers on ClickBank will offer you know, 30% commissions, 50% commissions, uh, sometimes even probably 60. We went out of the gate offering 75%. Uh, that helped a ton uh, because from from our perspective, we're going to compete with a bunch of top uh, top performing info products who are offering 70 to 100%. We got to at least get to get to 75. So that helped a ton. Uh, but in terms of that relationship, making sure we're, we're reliable partners, that we're making sure that we're over delivering for our partners to for them to make money, knowing that we are going to make money in the back end um, through subscriptions and in the and ultimately uh, more product SKUs, which we would be launching in the near future. Well, that's going to be a perfect transition to circling back to the Shopify oh. side of things. But before that, just I think it's super important. I loved what you said, specifically about the over delivering and remembering that if you focus on over delivering for your affiliate partners and making sure that they're winning, you're going to win as well. And then focusing have that back end approach that hey, we need to get the customer, we need to make them happy so they could drive drive that success early on in particular because um, it kind of solves a big traffic and acquisition problem um, and then kind of deal with everything else as it comes. So um, with that transition, let's really move into the Shopify launch and talk about why that was so critical um, for that next hockey stick growth curve that you guys saw in that launch. Yeah, and I haven't been super instrumental in the Shopify side of things. Like I did play, I played a CRO, CRO role for a bit for the yeah, company. Yeah, because I remember you were doing that for a little, nine months, a yeah, year? Yeah, I'd say about nine months. It's kind of funny just getting shifting, shifted around in the company. Uh, <laughs> just filling fill holes, I guess, filling gaps where there's an opportunity to provide value. Uh, the the Shopify side, and I know Jamel got the tip from somebody, I don't remember who it was back in the day, but basically saying, you guys need to be on Shopify. And this was still before Shopify was real big. It's been probably been five years, I'd say, since we were entertaining Shopify. What year is that? 2021? That sounds yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was because it was before I got to the company, I officially left ClickBank and joined Organifi at the beginning of 2017. And we'd already been on Shopify by that point. So uh, yeah. So I don't, I don't know what else to say other than following trends, you know, f seeing what's, what's shifting in the marketplace and what tools you're able to leverage. I know that that for anybody uh, who's listening who has their established business, like they're already in the trenches of looking for uh, what tools are out there to increase CLV, what are the, the best email marketing platforms that's gonna help me uh, to increase deliverability, whatever it might be. 
uh, whatever whatever challenges you're you're facing in your business, you're looking for the right tools to do that. And Jamel at the time and Drew both. Um, I was actually going to mention this earlier. This is a perfect time to mention it. What I really loved about um, what they did, we we had a we have a fairly large organization now. We're up to nearly 100 employees, and even then, we had you know 15, 20 employees. And uh, it was nice to see that they didn't just kind of excuse themselves from the day to day of managing partnerships. Where you know, if you're the founder of the company and you've seen all the success, you know, maybe you see yourself as being able to step back and kind of in, in take that enjoy life mentality, and not get involved. But Drew and Jamel were were incredibly active in in talking with their partners and building those relationships. And that goes into this whole Shopify movement we had, which is uh, that Jamel and Drew were active in attending uh, masterminds, getting involved in different organizations where they can learn from others who were who were doing what we were doing and who uh, had done what we were, what we wanted to be doing and whatnot. So just just the fact that Jamel's like, hey, the Shopify's growing, we should be on there. And uh, he was able to uh, find a digestible strategy where we could go to market on Shopify and approach the traditional e-commerce route. Um, and I'm not a Facebook uh, ads expert by any means, so I'm not gonna start talking about you know that at all other than saying that we already interviewed robbie you don't need to talk about facebook we're good we're good <laughs> okay i think i think robbie's got it covered yeah. uh but I, I do know that what when we shifted shopify so clickbank was still um a major uh channel for us it wasn't the channel anymore now that we we're moving to shopify and growing there but it was still a significant acquisition channel both of the affiliates and we also ran some direct response uh sales funnels your more typical long-form sales pages on facebook and other channels when we opened up Shopify, it was like an entirely different experience for our customers. And thus, we were accessing an entirely different market for our customers. And really, ultimately, where we wanted to be long term um, with this vision that, that Drew and Jamel and May and, and the rest of our leadership has had, Green, or not Green Juice, Organifi as a whole has always been we want to be a billion dollar business because that's going to enable us to reach the most people. Uh, the initial stages of, of Organifi and launching this green juice, the vision was how do we get, uh, basically how, there are, well, how many is it? I want to say like 6 billion. That's probably too many, but hundreds of millions, if not billions of, of bottles of Coca-Cola or cans of Coca-Cola getting drunk every day. Can we create something that's enjoyable enough where people are going to replace their maybe poor drinking habits uh, with something that's actually they can enjoy and get positive benefits from. And with that, the vision was to grow this and to grow that Shopify was going to be that uh, that lever for us to really expand as a brand. Uh, and that's that's what's really exciting to me is, is that Organifi has been able to establish itself as a as a successful e-commerce brand. And Shopify was a main channel to do that. You see that now. Um, how Shopify's company is growing significantly. Not only that, but how many uh, significantly successful brands in the e-commerce space have launched on Shopify and continue to operate on Shopify to this day. And you don't see that nearly as much uh, when you're operating solely on direct response funnels. Yeah, yeah. So a couple of things first. I mean, for the Coca-Cola goal, what it, does has Organifi created something that tastes really good with whiskey or rum? I feel like that might be a really <laughs> that's, that's big game changer, yeah, to get to that goal. We have done some Organifi cocktails in the past. Really? Uh, I'm not I'm not a, a drinker, so I've never partaken of the yeah. sweet Cur I just I can't imagine of the Organifi products I've tried, I can't imagine there would be one, but that that's definitely... Dude, have you had red juice? 
Red juice if is you quite like, delicious. If you yes. like the uh, sweeter uh, drinks that appeal to the more feminine crowd, I would say. <laughs> Kyle, do you like girl drinks? We have one for you. So oh, Please, that's funny. Partake. Yeah. Um, so the other thing, get, get more details. And I know yeah. you know you're, this isn't super involved, but I think one of the big things that you know, seeing similar from my experience as well, what e-commerce could do to even help um, your acquisition through the direct response side. Walk a little bit about how that transform the business more in like a specific tactical way? What are the things that you changed? What were the channels that were open to you? What were the affiliates that were open to you when you guys switched to, um, a, not switch, but added Shopify? Sure. Into no, that's a, that's a great question. Yeah, great question. Cause it did, it opened up a lot more uh, traffic channels for us for, for growth. Um, so if we were to look at Facebook in general, um, I, I'd think that the type of customer is buying from a direct response marketing funnel is leveraging different uh, persuasion tactics versus uh, more of a traditional holistic e-commerce uh, sales experience. You're going to go after two different demographics. Um, then there might be different age ranges, different uh, genders, uh, and different buying habits. Um, not only that, but you're uh, well. I would say that the the way that you're you're approaching your marketing funnels uh, rather than um, you know, from my experience anyway, direct response marketing funnels running on Facebook are, um, they might not be nearly as multi-tiered as a, as a, an e-commerce funnel looks like. So I was, we were working with some well, Real fast. Yeah. Can you talk a little about what you mean by multi-tiered? Are you talking like touch points? Just elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like I'm, I'm going to dig myself in a hole really soon without being able to talk my way out of it, <laughs> okay. but I'm happy to give some. Um, some some generic uh, answers to that because we we would work with an agency. No, I, that... I want you to give your trade secrets, please. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> please let me give it all away. I I don't even think I could if I wanted to, to be honest. Uh, so we like I was saying earlier, we like we had our ClickBank direct response funnels and we had our traditional e-commerce funnels. So we had two different agencies running those and those agencies operated differently. And so we had your long form sales pages and then we'd follow up with some pretty standard remarketing sequences after that on Facebook. However, uh, and, and then those were specifically like the goal is like acquisition even on the first click. Like you wanted to, if, if it was possible, get as many through that door as, as in the beginning as you could. However, on the e on the traditional e-commerce side, and like I said, I'm, I'm going to give that caveat that I'm, I'm not an expert here, but the agency that we're working at had a, had a multi-tiered uh, process at uh, the top of funnel, middle funnel, bottom of funnel to um, engage with the user even before we were, we were asking for the sale. And that was, like I said, a much more holistic experience to going after a new customer than the initial uh, persuasive, um, like emotional response, direct response funnel. Um, and so with that, we were able to, like I said, ac acquire uh, different uh, customer segments, I would say, on Facebook. Now, this also opens up uh, different channels even outside of Facebook. And Facebook is, is a big one right now, um, obviously. Uh, but they're more like we've, we've gone after YouTube and, and been able to make that a, an incredibly successful acquisition funnel for the company, even when we've had to make different pivots and other channels. Um, you did ask as well, though, of what else opened up. Uh, and I would say that the influencer channel uh, became a lot more prevalent for us because there was a lot more of an emphasis on on what we were trying to accomplish as an e-commerce company rather than just trying to make a sale. Uh, so in the direct response funnels, um, it was a very, uh, very much uh, impulse-based buying. And that's great because there are a lot of people that need change. And if we're touching on the right pain points and they're impulse buying, that's just an opportunity for them to change and an opportunity for us to help them you know, make positive changes in their life. However, on the e-commerce side, um, it was a much more uh, holistic experience of helping someone kind of identify with the brand rather than making just an impulse decision and I need this in my life. It was more of a alignment with what we were trying to do as a company. 
um, spreading our, our purpose and our vision and um, helping people understand the education behind our products, why we put superfoods, which superfoods and which products, uh, and, and what we are just as an identity as a company. And so um, I can't remember exactly where I wanted to go with this other than saying <laughs> that uh, it was a totally different experience for the customer and thus allowed us to acquire yeah, no, and this is going to transition next thing as we talk a little bit more about the influencer side of things is, is a different type of affiliate. But really what I love that you're saying there is that, you know, that sales process changes pretty dramatically and it does attract different users. You know, realistically, a long form sales letter is almost like a one night stand. That's picking up and taking somebody to the full end of your relationship in one small segment versus e-com it's a longer emotional experience. Mm -hmm. This is like something you might work with that turns into a relationship or something like that over time. I don't know why I'm putting this to dating, but well, I'm happily married. Yeah, I don't know what it is. When was the last time you were single? Yeah, right. it's, been it's been far too long. <laughs> it's probably a really dated reference. Like, you know, on MySpace when he had them, and it's kind of like that. Um, <laughs> so, to the soda yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, that, that's such a, a, a difference. So you have, like, it's content, right? And so when you talk about influencers, people that have a relationship, they're bringing education to the field. You don't have to sell as hard. You don't have to really go from individual pain to conversion. It's, hey, by the way, you might be curious. You might be interested in this. Let me give you a little bit more. And then from here, here's the next step, the next step. And yeah. commitments to purchase. Um, you know, you're, you're not having to go cannonball at the deep end of the pool like a long-form sales letter would do. Um, it's kind of that slower entry um, to the deep end of, of acquisition. So. Yeah, and I, and I would say as well, like we've, I've seen a lot of direct response funnels really successful with driving like educational style ads mm -hmm. and whatnot on Facebook. And we would do the same thing on the e-commerce side and be really successful. I will say, uh, coming from like, I, I grew up in the direct response world. I'm not in no way gonna claim that I'm a brand marketer by any means, but I do love that world, just uh, learning more and more about it. Um, it's definitely a different animal where, like you said, it's more of a long tail approach to acquiring a customer. Um, rather than cannonballing at the deep end of the pool, you're slowly, meticulously taking baby steps into the pool. Maybe it's, you know, whatnot. yeah. And uh, w what I would say is that when you when you look at your numbers, it's going to be a much different uh, experience. I think when you're when you're operating through direct response sales funnels, you're looking at like generally speaking, I would say you're looking at the initial dollar return right away, whereas e-commerce side is much slower approach. Um, but the lifetime value of those customers can be significantly larger than that we see elsewhere. Yeah. And, and so one of the things with that big difference, you're totally right. It's just, it feels different. The numbers look different. You can't evaluate them the same way. And the affiliates that you're using between those two channels, and I think it's important to find them as different channels, an e-com mm -hmm. channel versus direct response channel, both good very different. Um, it's always good to know which channel you currently have or that you have well, because those those affiliates are very different, which transitions right in the next we talked about influencers. So, um, you know, we, we were talking a little bit before you mentioned that 2020 was like the year of influencer for you guys. And I think um, yeah. I'd love to hear how that affiliate channel has worked for you and your experience with it. Because um, I know there's a lot of people that hear it out there and they love to know how to crack it, but they're just not sure. It's just kind of this ambiguous thing out there um, that they feel like every you know college age person they meet happens to be one, um, like an influencer, but like, how do I oh, make yeah. money off this? So we'll talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I'd be happy to. <clears throat> uh, I was telling Kyle, I think in an email that, yeah, 2020 was the, the year of influencers for us, primarily because we, we had dabbled in it uh, a good amount here and there over the years. Uh, but never really fully like committed to it. And so 2020 was that, was that year to do that for us. And we did it through, I guess, kind of a, I would say a two-pronged approach. Um, we went after the larger influencers and the micro influencers. And so I had a chance to run on the larger influencer 
uh, strategy, and then we had another team focusing on micro-influencers. Real fast, on the, yeah. on the larger influencer, can you just give me a, a definition of how you guys say, here's a large influencer, here's a micro-influencer. Just give me some ranges in terms of following. For sure. Like that. Yeah, I think it, it varies. You know, people are going to have different opinions. I would I would peg them, and <laughs> it's going to be, ah, eh, we'll, we'll go with it anyway. Oh, no pegging here, Josh. Um, this, is a, this is a family-friendly podcast here. I need ooh. you not to... <laughs> I don't know if I should have been allowed here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Everybody knows I'm clean. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we, I would say over a hundred thousand is what we would go after for like a larger affiliate. Uh, is that like agnostic of um, influencer source, like between yes. YouTube or Instagram? Let me clarify that. Okay. So a hundred thousand followers, we would generally refer to as Instagram. Instagram is kind of like that main starting point for going after influencers. But I mean, you can look at TikTok, which I would say has a much more inflated uh, number of, of definitely of uh, followers. So 100,000 on Instagram may not equate to 100,000 on TikTok um, in terms of, you know, a return you might get an investment, for example. Um, whereas YouTube, another totally different experience for the customer, I would say, um, the the folks who follow somebody on YouTube are generally a lot more committed uh, to that individual because it's a totally different like a video platform rather than hey I'm scrolling through Instagram scrolling through Instagram and I you know see somebody I like and I click I click it it's just a different experience from the customer and so um, I think every different social platform you can't just compare you know one to one apples to apples so to speak mm-hmm. uh, so with that in mind uh, back to your question <clears throat> we saw I would say about a hundred thousand would be that on Instagram following to be a, a like a launch pad for what I would consider a larger influencer. Wow. Okay. I would have thought it would have been higher to be honest. Yeah. I mean, a hundred, I mean, I, I, I would say that people who have over a hundred thousand following on Instagram could probably build a, a business and, and sustain themselves on that if they hmm. go about it the right way. I mean, I think Taylor's dog has over a hundred thousand followers. So, you know, you got a big opportunity. Does your there. dog drink green juice? Because if so, I got a deal for him or I, if he'd like to drink, I think green it, juice. Cause I'm pretty sure to make his mane even wider and he'd have more energy and gosh, darn it. He just loves his life more. I think so, you're right. Yeah, we were making business. Does he have podcast, Does he have right? an extra two or th- to three pounds of belly fat he could lose? Because mm, yeah, just kidding. We can't make this claim. Okay. Well, what about please, please cut this from your what, podcast? What about now. glow? Do you think um, maybe he could just have a fuller mane, a more younger? illustrious? Yeah. Uh, Let's get those dog years back. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. <laughs> uh, yeah. So 100,000, I'd say that's that's what we categorize it at. I think other people are gonna have their other definitions, but I mean, Instagram goes up to you know 10, 15, 20 million followers, and so um, I would say that. That, that 100,000 cutoff, you're generally going into the range of people that have an expectation of what they should get for up front for a flat rate sponsorship, mm-hmm. rather than, hey, let's maybe talk about uh, a you know a commission percentage deal. And generally speaking, you're, those are gonna be hard to come by anyway, but the smaller they are, the more of an, more of an opportunity you're gonna have in ne- negotiating um, a commission percentage deal. Why do you think that is? I think, um, I know I've talked to a lot of people, especially when they come to the direct response world and they're going into influencers, and, you know, it's just this real thing. They struggle to wrap their head around with the idea of like, sure. well, why don't they want a commission? They want to do these flat rate CPM models. I don't even know if it's going to work. Mm-hmm. There's risk associated with it. Like just in your experience, like why do you think that is that you could only go, you have to go smaller to get people more open to what most likely is going to make them more money if they actually are, are good at their, their audience. <laughs> if they're you know? actually yeah. good. Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean? If they have a yeah. very engaged audience no, and they're going to monetize, like, Commission makes you a lot more money. And that, that's the thing, because it really comes down to the supply and demand. If you consider somebody who has uh, some kind of personal brand on Instagram or whatever social channel, and uh, you know your small business comes knocking to sell your you know latest juice powder like Organifi versus uh, you know Nike saying, hey, we'll actually just give you $10,000 up front if you shoot this little video of you running in our new Nikes. You know, it, it's going to be... It, 
they could take that, they could roll the dice. Maybe they align more with your brand. But the fact of the matter is that when it comes to supply and demand, like the, the, the bigger, the fortune 500 companies are going to beat out the little e-commerce guys all the time. Cause they can offer that upfront cash. And they're, they're not necessarily nearly as concerned about that front dollar. Cause they're doing brand marketing rather than doing like, uh, you know, direct returns off of their, off of their ad spend, so to speak. So for us as a, you know, so, startup, so to speak of a, of a e-commerce company, uh, we we look at every dollar we're spending on that side, and we expect a certain return on ad spend with those influencers. Um, but then, if if some not even a Fortune 500 company, but like a, a VC funded uh, e-commerce startup, they got some money to play with. They're going to be able to out, outperform us anytime. So that's why you got to bring in these uh, other elements to the table to get somebody on board with with promoting your brand, just aligning with you rather than somebody who might just offer them a bunch of upfront cash. Gotcha. Yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I've always thought like felt like some of it might be tied to a pride thing, right? Especially as it matriculates down, like your CPM charge, the rate you could get away with is almost like along with what your subscriber and follower mm-hmm. base is. It's another pride point. Like I'm a 10k post. Well, let's kind of let's influencer. be fair. I mean, I, and I don't I don't mean this in any derogatory way towards towards influencers by any means, but there's definitely an entitlement there, and mm-hmm. rightly so. I mean, you've built up a reputation. You have a certain percentage of engagement with your followers, and you're getting paid thousands of dollars by some other brand. Yeah, you're going to be entitled because you know what your worth is. And so with those kind of uh, expectations, yeah, they're going to come to it with some pride, saying, "I'm I know what I'm worth. I'm not just gonna just gonna give you a." Uh, utterly unfair deal to me just because I like you. Yeah. And if, I, if from from the people who are listening who are in the direct response world, um, they're used to working with affiliates who offer who will take a percentage deal as well as the world of, world of paid email um, who are offering you know flat rate e- uh, CPM deals for for renting their lists or running to their lists. And so it's the same concept, I would say. You know, you're going to have your affiliates that are operating on a percentage basis. You're going to have others who know what they have their numbers more dialed in. They operate on a CPM model and they're going to charge you the flat rate. And so it's, I I would say it's a very, very parallel to what we see in the email world. Gotcha. Cool. Um, No, that's good. Sorry. No, we went a little bit off there. I I appreciate you doing that. So um, a hundred thousand and above, that's going to be your large influencers on Instagram. And that's where you're going to really almost exclusively see, it sounds like CPM style deals, unless maybe you work something out. And then under that is where you get a little bit more creative with some rev share and stuff like that. Maybe yeah. some free product stuff to send them. Um, yeah, and I can elaborate on it a little bit. Sure. I, I would say that there's like this uh, neutral zone between like 50 to 100 where it's kind of anything goes. Like there will be people that'll still be expecting those flat rates. There'll be folks who are totally cool with percentages. Um, and it's not like a blanket rule. You're going to run into people who are at the 100K, 300K, 500K level that are that are cool with percentages. It's just much more rare. And I'd also say it requires much more investment on your terms, on, on your time rather, to uh, build up that relationship and that trust factor to the point where they are more open to running a percentage deal. And that was our, our original model, what we wanted to achieve. We didn't achieve it. And I think there's a way to do it still. Um, and if I were to go back and do things, there are things I'd change. But to be able to prove out this model of, hey, um, if you're just getting started with your uh, influencer program, similar to if you're testing an affiliate offer, if I'm gonna test, if I have a new offer and I don't know if it's proven, then I'm gonna go to my affiliates or my partner, the people that I know and say, hey, I will, I I got this new offer, I wanna run it, um, but I don't want, I wanna reduce your risk because I know that you expect X amount of dollars for every email that you send. So if that's the case, then I'm gonna guarantee whatever it is that you earn on on average from an email. If it's 1500 bucks, I'll guarantee that. 
run my offer. If you hit a thousand bucks commission, I'll pay you 500 bucks via PayPal. Make sure you're covered so you at least hit your minimum. So whatever your minimum is, I'll hit it. Similar with the influencer side, if if I'm building a program, my goal is to find out what, what they're charging, negotiate a deal. Because generally speaking, you can, especially if they like your brand, they like your product, they like what you're about and they like you, then you can negotiate a pretty good deal. And I don't think we ever went out uh, when we would negotiate a deal, we never went with the starting price. We're always able to get it closer or get it lower than that. And I think that's the expectation on the, on the influencer side too. So with that in mind, um, we, would, um, we would find that number, we would run it, and then we would look at our performance. What was the performance? And we'd be fully transparent with our influencer. We wanted to let them know and feel invested in it because also back to like your pride point, they want their offer. They want to succeed too. Like they want you as a partner long-term so they can make more money. They would much rather have yeah. uh, a partner who's going to pay him a thousand bucks a month for the next 12 months rather than one partner who paid him 3000 once. So with that in mind, um, we would be transparent with our numbers. We let them know what's going on and s- let them know where we're at. And so if they did really well, great. Now we can go back to them and say, Hey, we paid you a thousand bucks. You actually earned like if you would have done a 30% commission with us, you would have earned 1500. So why don't we do that instead? Um, or we'd go back and say, hey, you know, you hit, uh, we paid you a grand, we made about 800 bucks in return, 600 bucks in return, whatever that might be. We have this gap, we'd love to work with you on maybe a hybrid model to see if we can close that gap with some different offers. And so that was a model that we would, we used. We were successful on like individual cases. I wouldn't say the whole program has been a success around that that model, but what I would change to make it more successful is to start testing more offers. And we've been pretty limited as a company to really like dive in and retool like what's the best acquisition offer we'd run on, on Instagram. We're working on that now. Um, and so that's the way I would approach it now is making sure that you have this long-term vision. Um, you find the right influencers that, that seem to align with your brand, your product, your vision. And uh, then you go to work just like you would an affiliate offer and start testing different offers that are going to be your your gateway to, to more acquisition on through influencers. Awesome. So we covered a ton of stuff there and yes. we still haven't answered one of the questions that started all this. <laughs> so I'm just, we're just going to break it down, but there's so many things I want to circle back and well talk done. with. Um, so the, the first interesting recap, I think I loved what you said there and how you go about negotiating those, those deals and how key it is to be transparent and share the results. Um, because even I tell you in my experience, that's not something that, you know, we tried with influencers when I was doing that. I think people think about that, but we do it with performance affiliates all the time, right? In the direct response world, you're going to send an offer and you're going to look and ask, hey, I'm either going to ask what your expectations performance are on the front end and then know how that went, or I'm going to ask afterwards, okay, let's talk about how this went. How do we want to proceed to make it more successful, you know, or just keep running it and see more of that success going so on and so forth, right? So um, it's such a great approach and something I wouldn't necessarily think about. So love that piece. Um, I, wanna, I want us to circle back and talk a little bit about seeking and then also negotiating. But before that, let's answer the initial question that we had before. So we have 100,000 for um, the large, we have the gray area of 50, and then we have the, the real micro level of 50 and under for Instagram. What about for um, Facebook? YouTube. And then I kind of a question is, would you consider podcast influencer? Is that a whole separate thing that we won't talk about today? And maybe that could be some other time. Whew. Yeah. So I'm based on the, whew, I'm going to say that's probably a different conversation, different day. So yeah, just give me those kind of micro large influencer numbers for YouTube and Facebook or TikTok as well. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if I have a good answer for you. And the reason why is because like I said earlier, Instagram is kind of that launch pad to, to influencers. Okay. And so we will use that as a measuring stick. Um, and then they might have other platforms elsewhere, like, uh, sorry, they might have other followings elsewhere. Uh, they should be diversified just like any business should. Yeah. Um, 
but we would use that Instagram measuring stick to know like the value. Um, we didn't do a ton with YouTube. From my experience, YouTube creators, YouTube influencers are uh, pricier uh, when it comes yeah. to like a CPM model. It's if like you wanna... triple the price. Yeah, it's it's pretty expensive. And theoretically, uh, that's okay if they're driving that value because from my perspective, YouTubers are gonna have a much deeper c- connection with their audience. Um, I don't know if Organifi was always necessarily the best fit for the YouTube creators that we'd work with, but my my experience, you can get a much better bang for your buck on Instagram than you can on YouTube. If you have a converting offer, if you have a compelling offer for influencers, then go to YouTube, but don't start there. Because from my experience, you're, I would say you're starting at five grand, 10 grand for an upfront sponsorship on the YouTube side. That that, that seems pretty consistent what I've seen yeah. too, um, and jumping into that. And you could get some down like two, um, but you're, you're gonna be spending four figures where you could start Instagram like 400, 200 Yeah, you can get five, $500, $600 sponsorships on Instagram. I will yeah. say that YouTube, you can find some uh, some commission-based partners there, but it's I'd say it's a little more frequent than Instagram, but that just might be my experience and not a holistic uh, approach. When you, when you guys looked at your ROI for YouTube, did you, like what's the window that you evaluate that from? Because I remember when we were thinking about YouTube and thinking about YouTube influencers, one of the things that really stood out is where the cost is higher because the production's so much mm-hmm, higher. Exactly. The ROI window is so much longer because that content it lives, lives forever, forever, right? Yeah. Like Instagram post or a story, you know, beyond the five seconds that you look at it and maybe read that comment if you happen to, um, you know, you're never gonna look at it again. When's the last time you went and like looked back on yeah. an Instagram feed? There's been times I've seen videos and I was like, oh, I should share that or show it to somebody. But I have to spend more than three seconds to find it again. I was like, not worth nah. it. Yeah, you know, nah, it wasn't that funny. I'll just forget it ever existed. Yeah. So, um, you know, I just, I just wasn't sure where you evaluate that period because in my experience, it seemed like YouTube actually seemed like it would be the preferred channel um, for, yeah. for influencers. So I'm just cu- just curious, different opinions, if you, if you guys evaluate that from. Yeah, of course. I mean, we, we would, um, so we tested YouTube through an agency in the beginning and it did not, did not go well just because we didn't see a good solid return. It, doesn't, it didn't even matter what window we gave it. We didn't see the return. Gotcha. And again, I think that goes back, I think that's more telling of the offer. Yeah. Uh, or at least a large part to the offer we were, were giving to our, our partners rather than the partners themselves. Um, but yeah, you, I would say it, float it as long as you can, really. Like if you can give it a 60 day window, cause like, like you said, these YouTube videos are gonna be there for a very long time and their traffic might spike down the road if somebody else promotes like their content and whatnot. And so I would say that you want to give it as long of a window as you can, whereas an email you're looking at, you know, no more than a seven day window. Instagram, we're looking at 24 hour windows on Instagram because we would rarely do posts. Uh, Stories were generally the more profitable opportunity on Instagram. Um, So yeah, YouTube, if you can give it a 30 day, 60 day window, that'd be great. Yeah. Thanks for mentioning that stories are where the- Yeah, stories are where where it was at for sure. yeah, so I just this is my plug for this statistics. I remember I had a chance to go to a, a YouTube you know conference one time, um, and it is the second largest search engine behind Google. Yep, like it's one of those things that we don't think about it always that time. We're like, oh, you watch funny videos there, but if you want to find out how to do something or you have a question, YouTube is probably going to be a source you're going to Google those questions and do. So just just a quick plug there. What other influencer sources are you guys using outside Instagram? And it sounds like not necessarily. Do you do TikTok? Uh, we've we've dabbled in TikTok. Uh, TikTok. TikTok. Uh, I wouldn't TikTok. That's what it's called, that's right? Cons- that's what the young kids. That's call the it these conservative days, right? TikTok. It's ah, TikTok. That's where Parlor went, huh? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. 
I don't think we do, like we've done a little bit on TikTok. I don't think we've done any like flat out sponsorships. We have a lot of partners that use TikTok, but we never went after TikTok like with a specific strategy behind it. Um, sometimes, and this is actually my preferred approach to partnerships, is finding somebody that aligns and setting up a deal. Uh, maybe running an, like we would run an Instagram first to kind of test the alignment. But my overall goal is to set up a deal that encompasses all of their channels. And so you mentioned if podcast earlier is a part of what we consider affiliates and it's not like we have, we have a, a unique structure where we have our influencer program uh, uh, and then a, and a podcast program and then our like email partners program and then like review sites and blogs. And so um, ideally, if you find a partner that, that you think is gonna be promising, test one of their channels. If it goes even remotely positive, start looking into a holistic deal with them that's, a pro that's encompassing all of their channels. Um, Shall I go on a tangent, Kyle? You're you're the you're the, the <laughs> captain here. Well, I was going to say this transitions perfectly, okay. and I think we were going to talk about with the negotiation side. So let's talk about how you go and structure these deals and how you negotiate with these influencers. I'd love for you just to delve into that piece. Um, I think that seems kind of what you're doing, and then afterwards, what we'll do is let's talk a little bit about finding them because I think that's one thing to talk yeah. about the deal. But then, where do you find these influencers? Yeah. Are all over the place. Yeah, happy to. Uh, the the deals. I'm assuming that's what your tangent was. I it is. It is. It is, it is okay. a tangent. I'm trying to figure out the best way to segue, like bring them together. But yeah, I'll go into the, the tangent a little bit because I was mentioning if you can find a partner that's um, a test well in one channel, um, then you want to, if you can craft a deal that encompasses all of their channels and that's, that's a win. And this is why I feel we had a partner um, that we tested her on podcasts and it didn't go very well. Like it was like a 40% return on ad spend, mm -hmm. which sounds horrendous probably, but it <laughs> you get some that are like 10, 20% sometimes on the influencer side. So to me, 40% represented, it wasn't the worst, but it wasn't great. Maybe there's a way to win this. And I was really, even despite the 40% ROAS number, I was really confident in this individual because their content aligned, uh, their their persona, like everything just seemed to, to align with us. So there has to be a way to get this to win. So I came back to them and I said, okay, why don't we do a deal where we're still gonna uh, sponsor your podcast, but we didn't get a good return. So let's also make a bigger deal that includes like some Instagram and some uh, some emails to see how this does. Cause I know you have an email list. Let's try to leverage that to see if this works. So we, we, we did this all encompassing deal and it was for several thousand dollars and the podcast did a little bit better than the time before that. Um, the, the stories actually brought the return. The Instagram stories helped us hit the the one-to-one -one return on it. And then they sent an email and the email was like a five-to-one return. Like it wow. was insane. And for me, that was number one, obviously this is a huge partner that's gonna be long-term. We gotta make this work. But number two, uh, on the basis of transparency, I wanna make sure that they know their worth. And to me and to Organifi as a whole, I'm sure my, my uh, our e-commerce director will be like, eh, you shouldn't be uh, giving away more money and you should. But at the same time, like, I think it matters that we approach our partnerships with transparency to let them know what their value is so that when they enter into other partnerships, they can go into those fairly. And then also it gives us the opportunity um, to establish ourselves as, a, as an ally of theirs. And so I went back to them and said, hey, just so you know, like your email's worth a lot more than you might know. Like, I don't know if you would have let me bar, like do a thousand dollars in this, like rent your, or have you promo us for a thousand bucks or something in your email list, but we got like $15,000 on that one promo. So just so you know, it's worth more than you think it is. I would love to broker a deal where we do this with you long-term. And for them, it was like, oh my gosh, like they had no idea that it would generate that kind of revenue for us. 
And so we were able to uh, schedule a long-term deal for the next six months and run email with them. And uh, they charge more, but they still charge way below what our expected return, our goal for return on ad spend is. So that in the end for me was a win. And it also like established a really solid uh, alliance for even now, uh, we've been able to build a really successful uh, relationship and support one another in different causes. So yeah. that hopefully helps kind of illustrate the the value of approaching like approaching it the right way with a partnership. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful thing there, Josh. I think lots of times people are asking the question, it seems like they go into deals, what, what can I take and how can I maximize what I make versus what can I give and how could we maximize our unified relationship? And that's really a great example to exemplify the benefits there, um, where you make them but better, and just the equity in relational equity that provides—that's just fantastic. So, really, really. Plus, um, I wonder: have you guys found that as soon as you start entering the other channels, they just progressively increase the ROI? Do you think that's just more of a a touch point effect? Because there's going to be some people that maybe only listen to the podcast, but there's also a portion that will follow them on Instagram and subscribe to their email. Whatever that is. So then all of a sudden, by the time you get that final, like, does that change how you guys structure your promos? Do you kind of structure and say, okay, we know this is our initial touch point. Let's change the messaging a little bit for the next one and change it for the next one. Or is it a pretty flat same message across the board? Uh, it varies because we, we follow, well, even now more than ever, we follow a promotional calendar. Okay. So we, we have the goal is to have something for our partners to always be promoting something new, whether it's a new product launch, a seasonal promotion, whatever that may be. So the messaging continues to change, but you're, you're exactly right. Uh, the expectation, if you find the right partner, um, not obviously the, the, the listeners, the, the viewers, et cetera, their, their touch points of your brand are going to increase over time. Um, even if they're just on one channel, even if they're just a podcast listener, the touch points are going to increase. And so the expectation is the ROAS is going to increase. That isn't always the case. Um, some I, I've experienced uh, partners where it's really front loaded, where the initial return is awesome. And then over time um, it, it weakens. And, and hmm. I think that's expected no matter what, like eventually a little bit of fatigue. you're going to run. Yeah. You're going to reach the end of the runway. Yeah. However, like I've, I've looked at partnerships and I've, I've kind of uh, co- uh, compared different reports to show okay, well, the initial like sponsorship or the initial investment we made on this influencer may have been you know, 70% return on ad spend, so negative. But over time, we continually climbed this ladder of our OAS where now we're seeing one and a half, two and a half, three percent or three X returns uh, from that partner. So it really varies. And I would say that there's always a life cycle to that partner to some degree or another. Um, if if you're diversified with your SKUs, your, your products, then you can probably keep that going a long time. But if you're dependent on just like one skew or just a, a couple of them, then the runway is going to be pretty short. Yeah, yeah. That's that, that's great, though. I just love um, – I'm a big believer in the idea of the multiple touch points, yeah. right, and how you continue to do that. And I don't think people always utilize it in the way they should, so that's a fantastic approach. So let's real fast just touch on the, the negotiation process. Yeah. And then we'll go into the seeking and finding. I know that's kind of a little bit backwards, but that's all right. we're already kind of talking about the deals. I kind of went all over already. Yeah, so. <laughs> right. So yeah. give me your um, your are the deal uh, explanation of how you go about structuring the deals. It's probably not – maybe that's not a good reference. I don't know I if say. I should be excited that you're yeah. saying, like, yeah. I'm a deal maker or nervous that you're comparing me to Trump. Yeah. I don't know. I don't man. know. I don't know. <laughs> it's out there now. So. It is. that You can't take it back. You do have glorious hair today, by the way. For those that are – Are you saying listening. Trump has glorious hair? Well, I'm just saying it's <laughs> – 
he's defined a lot by his hair. And he you is. Have, that is you have his... some great looking hair today. Thanks, man. Is that opposed to other days where it just looks well, like? Well, I think you're always Oscar um, the Grouch hair. Well, let me just flirt with you over a podcast. Please, Josh really looks dapper here. all the time. He is a well put together human being from from fashion to style and all that good stuff. So we are in video, right? Because yeah, making, yeah, it's you're on YouTube. Blush. It's on YouTube. I'm yeah. blushing so hard. <laughs> it, like when I God. saw you in the elevator, I was like, man, Josh, just look at that. Just so fashionable. You just want to take me out this Friday night, yeah. don't you? Yeah, totally. I, know, I was I like, hey, it. this is the first time I've worn a non-elastic waistband this week. So <laughs> That's all right. I barely just took a shower after about three weeks. So had to look good. That's gross. I'm glad. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so the, the, the deal-making structure it all comes well, well should, we, should we just kind of combine the seeking yeah that'd be great this? if you want to just, just bring combine them all those two in fact why don't you go through the pro- let's just reframe it let's do process of finding and then that first deal making process and then yeah i think we'll probably um we'll, we'll do one more question on influencers to start buttoning it up okay. cool yeah sounds good uh, I, I would say and i want to give a shout out to our we have what's called the collective team at organify which is really like the heart and soul of our influencer team because they focus primarily on the micro influencers and they just do an incredible job at building relationships creating long uh like long tail promotions or rather uh, regular promotions that the people are promoting even every day sometimes if you can imagine coming from the direct response world getting an email out of a partner every every four weeks every six eight weeks well we have uh, micro influencers that are promoting us every day Wow. And uh, every day, every day, and for how long? Every week, I don't even know. Like that's not my world. Like they, yeah. they run that relationship and they do it so well. Some of the their micro influencers might include strictly social media people. Some people that might have clients for coaching. It includes everybody. So yeah, they're doing promotions all the time. Uh, so shout out to, uh, to to Taylor and Lauren who are running that side of things. They do an exceptional job, and and they've been able to help me out with kind of understanding Instagram a lot more because I think I'm a little older than your general demographic user of Instagram. Also, I'm not a, I'm not in love with social media, so I don't really, I'm not an expert at it. With that in mind, you don't necessarily have to be an expert in Instagram to have success with influencers. Um, what, what I did learn early on um, is, is how you wanna connect, how you wanna find them is like, you, first you gotta, you need to know who you're, who you're gonna target, who, you're, who you really wanna work with, and that you could go about your traditional, like I'm just gonna look on Instagram, see who I find. Or you could use a tool out there. Um, there is a CRM tool called Grin that we use, but Grin is also, it's, a, it's an actual CRM, not just like a, um, oh. a data tool to find Instagram users. So it's almost <clears throat> like HubSpot influencer focus, basically. Totally, but it has like a research component to it where you plug in uh, keywords you wanna look in their bio, or you plug in, um, uh, one influencer and you want to find lookalikes for that influencer. And so Grin does that plus it's a full CRM automation tool where you can do email campaigns to reach out to new folks, maintain your relationships, track uh, conversions, commissions, et cetera. Like it does it all. Um, that sounds fantastic. It Grin? is. That's it's cool. also fantastically expensive. Gotcha. So if you're a little startup, <laughs> it's probably not great. But if you have an, like if you're a fully fledged company with multiple employees and you have the ability to run it, uh, with a dedicated team, then it's a it's a great investment if you're dedicated to investing in influencers. For those who aren't at that level, there are tools. One that I did use called Strawberry Socials, which is just the research component. That is a delightful name, isn't by it? The way. Don't just you just want to smile I when do. you say it? I do. I feel like their business cards are scratch and sniff. I mean, that's, <laughs> that, oh, that's I, I'm sure name. they are. <laughs> uh, I used that before we moved to Grin, and it was it was helpful. Like I said, plug in an influencer you like search up a bunch of lookalikes, plug in uh, keywords in a bio, find a bunch of people. It's really, really handy. You can set parameters like, I only wanna find micro-influencers under 50,000. I only wanna find big folks, uh, big followings over a million. Whatever that is, you can use a tool like that to go and find those. Now, once you know who they are, 
you know who you want to reach out to, it's fairly easy to get some kind of contact information. And I didn't know this in the beginning because I don't use Instagram. Um, but when I would use Instagram on the browser, I couldn't grab their email. But if you use it on your phone, uh, there's any influencer who, who uses it as a business is going to have a contact button. And that contact button will generally have an email email that you can contact them directly. Um, so just an obvious duh moment that I had, like that makes it so much easier to reach out to people. <laughs> um, oftentimes other agencies, we can talk about agencies if we have time. Um, but YouTube also similarly, if you go to their about page on a YouTube channel, um, they have an op, uh, a verify like a button to look up their email address right there yeah. in, their, in their profile. So that's handy too. Uh, once you find who they are, you have their email addresses. It's all about uh, either uh, DMing them, direct messaging, or um, or hitting them with a cold email. Um, direct messaging, depending on who they are, direct messaging can be the way. Uh, I personally had more success via email. Um, but there's a guy named Co- Tony Cassandrinos. If you don't know him, you should because he's a legend. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Tony with his Cassandrinos olive oil, uh, he, he and I had a conversation a while back about how he reaches out and he does direct messages on Instagram. And he has his own model of, of uh, connecting with people to get them to open a DM. And he's done well enough that he's, he's got some significantly successful uh, influencers to join his, uh, his crusade of better olive oil in the world. Yeah, yeah. He's I think dude. that's actually the last time you and I spent time together is with Tony. With Tony here yeah. in Boise, that's yeah. right. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, uh, so there's the DMing, and then for me, it's just a really short email, and I'll just have a really short direct subject line. Um, the email itself is, is you know, maybe four sentences that are pretty short. It's making a personal connection. It's letting them know what your brand is about. It's And it's not even trying to find a commitment in there to like, hey, we want you to promote, or hey, and just leaving it more of like, we would love to find a way to work together, but first, would you like to try our product? And not even would you like, but send me your address. If you want, I'll send it to you. Just you know, shoot me where to send it. Um, that has helped us, like that That to me was like a winning email where it was very short and sweet. Nice. It's giving before you're asking for anything. It's letting them try the product. And I will add that if you if you do well with brand marketing, then people are gonna wanna be a part of that. If they, they're gonna see your name in it, you're gonna include a link and they go to your, your e-commerce page, your landing page, whatever. If that's a sexy brand, they're gonna get more excited to answer back to you. If it's not a sexy brand, you're gonna have to sell a lot more. Um, and that's the one thing that I've loved at Organifi is that the brand itself has done the selling. If people don't know about it, they just gotta go to our store or our Instagram and they know what we're about and they know that we're a pretty cool company. Our Instagram isn't huge by any means, it's like 120,000 people, but we had a social media manager uh, back in the day and our current social media manager, both awesome. They've, they've helped us establish an impressive social media presence. Um, so hat tip to, uh, to Callie, who's around now, and uh, yeah, she's doing, she's doing a great job. Nice. nice. Uh, anyway, um, so once you reach out, you know, you're going to, from my experience, you're still going to, like any cold email, it's going to be kind of a low uh, percentage of hearing back, but 30 to 40%, I'd say, is a reasonable goal, sometimes even higher. Um, I, I would say as well, um, if you're looking for a good email template, Noah Kagan has one. Uh, okay. And I can't remember. Uh, maybe I'll, Kyle, I'll shoot you the link later on. But there's yeah. a there's a specific format that we'll he's following for. The description for this yeah, episode. that's a good plan. Yep. Um, he had a specific format that I love to reach out to people with a cold email. I think it's really solid. So that's what I would go with. Nice, nice. So just to recap, so you do um, primarily using the phone app and uh, get the contact de- details, reach out to them, and reach out with value first. Like, hey, here's the product, low commitment. 
Um, who wouldn't say yes to something like that? But knowing in the back end, you have that brand awareness, so you don't have to push so hard. So that that's awesome. And you have some other tools, plus the software side, I'll say that makes a huge difference. There's always organic searching that you could do, but I'm kind of like you, I'm not super savvy. In fact, Thomas had to explain to me over the last couple of days how to find something on videos on Facebook. And I was like, ah, where's that Thomas? <laughs> what do I click on? So, um, Yes, yeah, so definitely get where you're going with it. The software is huge yeah. piece. So, um, you know, for, for time's sake, because I realize we've just been, can you believe we've been talking for almost an hour now? That's crazy. Uh, I'm not surprised because I talk a lot. <laughs> well, um, so what I actually want to do, um, I think it's super helpful. And I would tell people like that, that's a great description that almost anybody could start and sustain into when it comes to influencers, if you're looking to, to jump into that. And it's such an, it sounds like, I mean, you've kind of mentioned things. It could be incredibly profitable affiliate um, traffic channel for you. So definitely look into re-listening this episode, start taking some of those steps. Because um, it feels like if anybody has, especially they want to go into branding or just you have a product they feel like you could share, you could jump into that influence world. Uh, what I actually want to do just before you leave, kind of two things, two questions. Um, first, you know, 2020 or 2020 was the, the influencer, the year of the influencer. Mm -hmm. What are you focused on this year in terms of your affiliate program? What's a big focus that you have? Yeah, great question. So if we were to look at our partnerships program collect uh, holistically, I guess, where we have our, like I mentioned, our collective program, which is micro influencers. We have a larger influencer channel. Then we have more of the traditional affiliates. Um, on the collective side, like that, we, we, our team, so as I mentioned earlier, Taylor and Lauren were able to grow that by like 600% this last year. Um, they're getting impressive ROAS and, uh, man, I need to get some water. We yeah, must be talking so, for more yeah. than an hour. <laughs> yeah, so they've, um, they've been able to grow that successfully and not only that, but now we're growing that uh, that department, that team. So no, it's no longer just them, but they've hired up a bunch of folks. And the way that we've gone about that micro-influencer program is finding people who work in specific cities and actually locally networking to find folks in the inf in the wellness space that have social media presences. So it's helped us accelerate the growth. Yeah. So we're gonna continue to do that this year. Oh, cool. So I would expect to have an exponential growth on the micro-influencer side just because we're going after that more grassroots campaigns of, of making uh, personal connections in various yeah. metropolitan areas in the, in the country. Nice. Uh, so that's been great. Uh, the second component uh, that I'd say that we're going into this year, um, in this world of direct response marketing, we all know the value of email. Yeah. But outside of this, not a lot of people do. I mean, there are there's a huge growth uh vertical in the world of newsletters like Substack has been capitalizing that significantly. Mm -hmm. um, there's all the different like morning brew type uh, newsletters that are going yeah. out to millennials. And uh, so emails, emails getting like cool. Like before it was like, oh, Instagram's cool. And you know, the direct response marketers in the email space are all like old fashioned, but it still has always been profitable, right? Mm -hmm. Well, now it's growing a lot more, I think, in, even outside of our little bubble of, of direct response marketing. So going after those uh, high, high quality email lists and uh, really trying to um, create some compelling offers, um, not just long form sales pages, although we are diving into that a lot more now than we have in like two years, um, focusing those. And, and why yeah. is that? Why are you guys so, you know, it's been at least a two years since you've you know, been away and maybe de-emphasized the long form sales letter. Why are you delving into it now? Yeah, it's a fair question. Uh, I, I, would, I would say that it's, uh, what's a good word? Um, we just got a little complacent, I think, um, primarily because we were focusing on other l levers for growth. Gotcha. I mean, we were focusing on the e-commerce site for Shopify and focusing on influencers. Like a lot of my time last year went to influencers. And so I didn't get a dive into mm -hmm. um, email. Not only that, but we had to kill a lot of our offers because not only have we been trying to be even more and more legally compliant, 
we're trying to be even more brand compliant. This is our brand. These are our values as a brand. What does and does not align with that? That's a great distinction too. Brand compliance. Yeah, and it's very different yeah. from the legal component. Be like, yeah, everybody listening to this should make sure that their offers are legally compliant. But what are your standards as a brand? What are your standards as a, as a product, as a company? And are you writing your copy or having your copywriters write the copy so that it supports the sustainability of your brand? Because if you are building a brand, you want to make sure that you're not interrupting that. And as a direct response marketer um, running the affiliate side, I know that I have um, not always made the wisest of decisions to support Organifi's brand growth. And so I I'm more committed now than ever before. And so in the last year, we've killed a lot of offers uh, on the affiliate side because they just were not where we wanted them to be from a brand compliance standpoint and, and legal as well. Um, so this year we are doubling down on our efforts to find the right copywriters that can write persuasive copy for a brand and making sure that um, we're finding the right partners, both our, our current partners, which we have some amazing folks who like, I cannot express the gratitude I have for some of the partners in this world of direct response that have continued to support us. Even when like our offers, like we haven't been the highest converting offers. Like we can't compete with the, the folks who have been a lot more assertive in their, uh, in their marketing and whatnot. Um, but we've had some incredible people that have, have supported us because they, they love our brand. They love us and what we're doing and, and uh, we love them. So with that in mind, I want to create some offers that are going to win for them even more and more. Um, um, to get our, our partners a lot more of a return than they've seen from our funnels. Yeah. So that's kind of the doubling down effort, both for existing partners and uh, new email partners, along with what I mentioned, the collective sides growth. Fantastic. Well, I love the 90s keep coming back. Now email's cool. Email's like, cool. It's happening. All the fashions, all 90s. I guess it's it's whatever works. So We were just talking about corduroys earlier. Yeah, we were talking those about corduroys. Those are cool, right? Now. My kids so. got Tamagotchis for Christmas, man. Like the I heard those are here. back. Yes. What a yes. weird thing. I babysit them when they're at school. It's it's a weird thing. I never had one as a kid, so it's kind of a I get to feel like a cool kid, which I wasn't nice. before. I had a I had a gigapet monkey. It was pretty <laughs> pretty lame when I look back at it. But <laughs> I don't I even felt know what cool. a gigapet is. Um, is it a freelance pet? Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah. Something like um, that. So I think that's super exciting to know that there's that there are, email is coming back, and there's a lot of new channels and partners that you could go out there and find. So that's really exciting. That you guys are going in there. Granted, it might look a little bit different than our standard you know, kind of the direct response email list that we're familiar with. So, um, well, with that, Josh, actually, I think uh, the last thing I really want to do is how can people contact you? So if they, they've heard something in here, they think they've seen Organifi's brand, they're like, man, this is really cool. Or they want to pick your brain and maybe talk about some of the things more in depth that you discussed today. How can people reach out to you and, and get a hold of you? Yeah, what are, where am I most responsive is the question. I'd say email is definitely the best. Um, in person, just give your address out. Can, like I, can I do that over, over the phone? I'd love to, or over the podcast, I'd love to do that. I'm, I'm sure kidding. you could. I don't, want <laughs> I don't know I if really Lauren don't will to. like it, but. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the wife would like that very much yeah. at all. Uh, yeah, anytime you're ever in Boise, talk to <laughs> Kyle so he can talk to me. Yeah, talk to my go. people, they'll talk to my people. Uh, no, my um, hit me up on email, josh at organifi.com. Um, you're probably gonna try to spell that with a Y at the end. But uh, just look it up online. We'll, we'll give you the actual yeah, spelling. Yeah, yeah Josh good. at Organifi.com. Uh, I'm on Skype as well sometimes, but I'm just going to leave it at email because that's my most consistent. Hit Perfect. me up anytime. Sounds good. Well, hey, thanks so much again for your time, Josh. It's been amazing. We covered a lot of things, tons of value, and it's always good to talk to you because um, I just love talking to you, man. So thanks, give dude. a good rest of your day. And everybody, thanks for listening. Um, please continue to listen. Leave comments, rate, review, share. We've had a really awesome launch. It's actually probably exceed our expectations so far. Um, so just keep it up and keep listening to the affiliate or affiliated. <laughs> I'll work on that messaging, the imaging on the outside. So thanks so much. Have a good day.